Uh, good evening, Chair Wiley and Sustainability Commissioners. Pursuant to Government Code Section 54953E, and in light of the declared state of emergency, the regular meeting of the Sustainability Commission of November 10th, 2022, will be conducted telephonically and recorded through Zoom. Thank you. Welcome, everyone, uh, to our November Commission meeting. This is our last meeting of 2022. Uh, and uh, Ali, can you please conduct roll call? Um, Commissioner Palmer. Here. Commissioner Cooper. Present. Uh, Commissioner Wiltshire. She will be absent today. Um, Commissioner Jalali will be absent today. Uh, Commissioner Stevenson. Here. We need to talk about getting him. That's on the agenda. Okay. Uh, Vice Chair Thompson. Here. We'll talk about him a little bit later too. On the agenda. Um, and Chair Wiley. Here. And okay. also on the agenda. Yes. Uh, that makes five out of seven. Um, so that's a quorum. Thank you. Okay, so the uh, first item would be um, public comments on items not on the agenda. Ali, over to you. Um, there, let's see, okay. If you wanna comment during the public comment portion of the agenda, you can use the raise hand function in Zoom under the reactions button at the bottom of your screen. Or you can press star nine if you are calling in. Uh, the public comment is limited to three minutes per speaker. That being said, are there any members of the public who would like to comment? I don't see anyone. Okay. Um, all right. Next up, I believe, would be approval of the minutes from the regular meeting uh, when we last met, I don't have the date in front of me, Ali, if you could send that information over to my other email, if you send it to the first one. Uh, okay. Um, um, my, but the last meeting was, I believe, September, September 8th. September Do I have 8th. a motion to second and approve the note from the meeting September 8th? Motion to approve? I'll make a motion to approve the a second. Thank you. Over to you, Ali. Um, we have a second to approve the minutes. I'll take the roll call. Uh, Commissioner Palmer. Aye. Commissioner Cooper. Aye. Uh, Commissioner Stevenson. Aye. Uh, Vice Chair Thompson. Aye. And Chair Wiley. Aye. So that's five out of seven, motion carries. Thank you. Okay, so our, our next agenda item will be our external presentation. Uh, we have one today. Um, there is a cancellation on the agenda for those taking notice. Um, we will reschedule the Director of Sustainability for HEAP for another time. Uh, and tonight we welcome Anthony from Zero Footprint, Foodprint, sorry. Uh, zero food print. Uh, this is a recommendation from Commissioner Cooper. I'm really excited to hear uh, about zero food print and Anthony. Uh, welcome and over to you. 
Cool. Thank you very much, everybody. Um, it's always encouraging to be part of local government and see how kind of seriously people take things and are moving things forward in the world. Um, I used to live in San Francisco for about 18 years where I was a chef and restaurateur. Uh, we started doing pop-ups um, under the name Mission Street Food before that even was a term. A uh, journalist kind of started to name that a pop-up um, in response. It turned into a permanent pop-up called Mission Chinese Food, uh, which became popular. And then we opened a location in New York that won Restaurant of the Year in the New York Times in 2012, even though it was ostensibly kind of a Thai takeout window. Um, from there, uh, my wife and I ended up having a daughter in 2012 and then really just started to focus a lot on food systems and climate. Uh, we started Zero Food Print, and at the beginning, it was helping chefs and restaurants go carbon neutral. We did about 57 life cycle assessments with a company called TerraPass that later changed their name to Origin Climate and then Three Degrees Inc. Um, what we found after all that was that the carbon footprint of ingredients com comprised about 70% of the carbon footprint. So basically, the majority um and you know really you could try to like buy some better ingredients but you know the vast majority of agriculture is kind of extractive and you know harmful to the environment and kind of unhealthy soil practices etc um so i can say with clarity something now which i didn't really know at the time which is that the food system and chefs and restaurants and consumers needed a way to directly change how food is grown not just buy the good thing and kind of like hope it changed someday, but just to very directly make a change. Uh, meanwhile, we started to learn about regenerative agriculture and then opened a restaurant called The Perennial where we were championing regenerative ag and ingredients like Kernza, the perennial grain being developed by the Land Institute and championed by Patagonia Provisions among others, um, but also beef from the Marine Carbon Project protocols and trying to tell the story of you know rangeland and the opportunities to sequester carbon to the public. I could tell you a lot about that, but basically, you know, what it came down to is the public would be super excited and then it would start to be like, amazing, you know, this could save the world if we could change all the acres. Where can I buy this? And then the answer would always kind of be like, mm, there's not much supply. Um, or, you know, sometimes someone would be like, oh, amazing, you know, I'll come support the restaurant. And then after a while, we started to wonder if it was actually making a change. So, you know, the rancher, Lauren from Stumble Creek, maybe we paid a thousand dollar invoice. We would ask him like, hey, you know, I know the research grants for the Marine Carbon Project paid for compost application on 350 acres. So, you know, I just paid my invoice. I just want to kind of understand the food system. How much of that invoice goes to acre 351? You know, how, how does my purchasing translate into the next practice on the next acre? Um, it was probably naive to even think that it did translate. And of course, as you can imagine, the answer was like, you know, no, man, I'm not driving a Maserati around, you know, if I'm seeking CDFA grants and trying to move things forward, but it's not like your purchase helps me apply 35 cubic yards of compost to the next acre, you know, which would cost 600 to a thousand dollars, depending on the logistics, blah, blah, blah. And much less, it definitely wouldn't help like the neighbor make a decision to like take out a loan for a million dollars and do all this work, et cetera. In 2019, we closed the restaurant and then started a collaboration with California Department of Food and Ag and the California Air Resources Board to really start to create a program that could accomplish that kind of transformative change. Um, so I'm gonna get into the nuts and bolts here. Uh, let me know if you can see the screen, just making sure. Yeah, we can see it. Cool. So, you know, I think what we did was kind of like go all in with our life savings to try to tell a farm to table story and really try to change the system that way. 
And again, it was a little bit naive. We had inadvertently created a whole movement with pop-ups, you know, so we sort of just thought like, oh, we can start a whole movement here. Uh, and of course, like the aggregated food system, all the different challenges. And so what we're doing now is really the converse. So it's creating a table to farm movement that's directing even just a couple cents from the food economy back into farmland and healthy soil. Um, so it's really trying to kind of operationalize this consumer impulse, where at this point, I think a lot of Marin residents, a lot of consumers in general are willing to pay a little bit more for the good thing. As I've alluded to, buying the good thing doesn't necessarily change the next acre. And so what we're trying to do is make a very direct mechanism to change the next acre and also to make it extremely affordable. It's just a penny extra. Uh, just to drive home this point of like the next practice on the next acre, you know, one acre is about 4 million pounds of soil based on the average bulk density in the top 12 inches. So as regenerative agriculture is increasing the soil organic matter um, to pre-industrial levels, let's say, you know, you could almost think of it as kind of equivalent to planting trees, but instead of a big tree, it's kind of just increasing that percent biomass, which is 50 to 58% carbon. And so gradually taking carbon out of the atmosphere, turning it into soil biology and healthy soil. Um, I could tell you a lot about the science if anybody has time and interest in the Q&A or whatever. But this starts to make like major, major benefits in terms of like water conservation, resilience, nutrient density, carbon sequestration, farmer prosperity. You know, I can go on and on, biodiversity. Um, <clears throat> it also creates major nutritional benefits. So this is some research from the Bionutrient Food Association. Uh, and so maybe you've heard things where it's like, you know, geez, compared to 1970, the broccoli has less calcium, like 25% less calcium or this kind of thing. That's all true. Uh, but this is almost like more alarming and more interesting, which is that even the carrot today in 2022 on one farm versus another farm can vary extremely radically in nutrient density. So, you know, up to 90 times the antioxidants, up to 15 times the potassium, six times the calcium, et cetera, et cetera. And so just... The, just like the way the gut microbiome kind of is crucial to human health, the soil microbiome is absolutely crucial to the ingredient nutrient density. And so we're a climate organization, but nutrient, you know, health and nutrition might almost be more important than climate in this front. Okay, so onto the program. Basically, um, when we started this program with the state, what got me very excited and, you know, basically shifting from a chef and restaurateur into now like a nonprofit you know, executive director and advocate was this idea that we could change farming through collective action. So not buy the good stuff, but just directly financially change it. So California pointed to some models like CCA for renewable energy. So Marin County, to my understanding, was the first CCA in California. And it maybe took like 10 years of policy work to get that framework in place. But once it was in place, it started to make rapid progress in terms of a transformative change in energy production. My understanding is Sonoma was second in 2014, and now California has 24 CCA programs, and the state is at 36% renewable energy. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's a lot of different efforts that have helped get there. CCA is definitely one of the big ones. Imagine if 12 years from now or whatever, we had 36% of agriculture under regenerative management, you know, carbon farming and carbon sequestration, as opposed to like 1%, which is the organic movement after 50 years. And so just kind of trying to create that sort of program is the goal here. It's complicated though, because with renewable energy, you know, the Public Utilities Commission gets $10 million, they build a $10 million solar farm. You know, it's kind of straightforward, even though there's a lot of work. 
with farming, the challenge, of course, is you got $10 million. Who gets it? Is it the vineyard planting hedges? Is it the dairy applying compost? Is it the crop farmer in the Central Valley planting cover crops on 100 acres, et cetera, et cetera? The big ranch, the small ranch, you know, there's 10,000 small businesses. How do you decide? So we've basically been kind of piloting this program both on the money coming inside and the money coming outside, uh, which I'll get to in a minute. But this is a snapshot from the Sonoma Climate Mobilization Strategy. And so you can see here, like build up the physical and economic capacity for carbon sequestration, create a sequestered local program, implementation partners, recology, zero footprint, local businesses. If or once those ordinances were passed and there started to be a sequester local program, you could start to unlock really, really significant funding through collective action programs. Again, like CCA, but for farming. So here's a sketch of what's possible. 1% from restaurants in Sonoma, 8 million a year. 1% from wineries, 12 million a year. 1% at hotels, 4 million a year, on and on. So you could start to get $45 million a year potentially from this type of work. Sonoma's home to the Carbon Cycle Institute, which is where the Marine Carbon Project was housed. And CCI has done a scoping plan for Sonoma outlining 250,000 acres of carbon farming. So that's about 40% of the county's acres, really, really ambitious goal. Probably it would take like $250 million, some very significant amount, which is not presently available in the state budget, or sorry, in the county budget, to say the least. And so basically just once you started to have $20, $40 million a year from these kinds of collective funding programs, though, you could make that happen in five years, 10 years, just like CCA. Um, so again, we've basically been piloting this. And so it works on two levels. Uh, businesses are simply opting in. Uh, for the most part, they're doing this at zero cost to themselves. They add a simple opt-out fee of 1%. Customers feel great. You know, we have some of the best restaurants in the world. Single Thread is in the top 50. We have my party Chinese restaurant. In Boulder, Colorado, we're doing a pilot with Subway Sandwiches, where five locations are participating for the past year. So really, it's the full gamut of restaurants. We've also started to add wineries, compost companies, catering, consumer packaged goods, et cetera, et cetera. On the farm side, the money is going out to a full spectrum of farms. So it could be someone like Lauren Poncha at Simple Creek or you know, one of the Strauss dairy producers with a full carbon farm plan doing their fourth or fifth practice. Or it could just be a conventional farmer taking their first step, planting cover crops for their first time, you know, reducing tillage a little bit, switching out and using less fertilizer and using compost instead. So really viewing regenerative agriculture as a spectrum of continual improvement and then just meeting everybody where they're at in the whole food economy and then just getting a penny to finance the next practice on the next acre. Our team works with the restaurants, you know, to tell the story, train the staff, you know, it could be one farm story, it could be a collective action story. Some other restaurants like don't even talk about it. It's just posted, but nobody even cares. Um, here's a picture from the subway receipt that kind of helps drive home, like just how plausible this type of work is. Uh, I've been making analogies to renewable energy a little bit, but another analogy that almost might even be more appropriate is to the CRV fee, like on a can of beer or a bottle of wine. It's just a couple cents that helps, you know, recycling go from like 26%, you know, to 80% or something, depending on which state you're in. And so at this point in the climate crisis, at this point in soil depletion and extreme weather, is it time to get a couple cents going towards healthy soil through policy, through ordinance? And could it, you know, be an opt-out just like CCA and really work very quickly. 
what makes it all possible is some advances in biogeochemistry and modeling. And so the Marine Carbon Project is one of the leaders on this. Another one is Colorado State University, which has teamed up with the USDA to create this modeling tool, the Comet Planner. It's not perfect. It's kind of like the beginning of this type of work, to be honest. Uh, but it helps you estimate the benefit of a practice, and then you start to be able to compare one practice to another. So this is a screenshot from a project we did with Trash Dairy in Sonoma. You can see you pull one of the practices from the calculator, put a little bit of information in, indicate the county type of field, so grazed grassland as opposed to cropland or vineyard, and then put in the number of acres. The model then estimates, you know, hey, on average, this would take about 99 tons of carbon out of the atmosphere. So it's not perfect. You know, one year it's 85, another year it's 106. Like it's not like these are carbon credits that Microsoft's going to buy and continue polluting or whatever. Uh, but it does help you start to compare this compost project on this dairy in Sonoma for 23 acres versus, again, like a thousand linear foot hedgerow project on a vineyard in Napa or a 100 acre cover crop project in Fresno. You can see the cost benefit. We work with folks like the Marin RCDs and Malt and others, uh, you know, conservation districts, cooperative extensions, Point Blue Conservation Science, and other leading NGOs. So each pro project is overseen by a third party expert along those lines. Sometimes they have funds from the USDA, sometimes they don't, sometimes they have funds from CDFA, et cetera. Uh, but they're out there overseeing each project, you know, validating that it's happening and that it's happening at the standards linked to the model on the previous page. So if it's like cover crop planting, you know, you're using this kind of seed mix, you're planting 40 pounds of seed per acre at this time of year with a maintenance plan, et cetera. So the technical details of the work that needs to be done on the field, you know, there's already experts to do that, though there's not enough in, you know, California or the world to accomplish what is possible with, you know, all of farming, but they're out there. We're not reinventing any wheels or creating new standards or whatever. It's kind of just working with that existing technical service provision network. Uh, and then the farmers are essentially submitting grant requests to the program. So money is going, for example, from that subway to a farmer. We collect a couple cents. We keep 5% of it. Uh, most of our time is covered through a USDA conservation innovation grant. And then we get 95% of the funds out to these farm projects. But it's not a donation to the farmer. The farmer is essentially almost like a contractor teaming up with the food economy to implement a scope of work like compost application or mulching or planting trees and shrubs on 18 acres. So the farmer is indicating how much they are requesting to accomplish the project, 14,000 in this case. So that's for the compost to the truck to get it to the farm, you know, the mulch, the tree plantings, the irrigation work, et cetera. Uh, overall, there's a cost of 14,000 for the practices, 2,000 for the technical assistance, which means a total cost of 16,000. We take the 16, divide it by the total carbon benefit estimated by the Marin RCD, et cetera. Uh, and then that's this figure on the right, which we think of as the climate ROI. So this is $13 to for this project to remove each ton of carbon from the atmosphere, on average modeled sequestration rate. This is $21 to remove each ton of carbon from the atmosphere through this project. So we sort it by that figure to kind of get to the best bang for your buck and you know start doing the best projects first. And then we're giving bonuses for underserved applicants. So BIPOC applicants um, have received over 30% of the funds so far. But we're also giving bonuses for circularity. So you know, for example, a coffee shop in San Francisco is participating in the program. They source from Strauss Creamery. Strauss has nine producers. One of the producers applies for a grant. They get a little boost up the queue. 
Um, it's almost like the five cents from the latte at the coffee shop is improving the grid of their supply chain by helping the dairy implement the carbon farming practice, much like the dollar on the energy bill might improve the grid, you know, whether or not the actual like molecule of electricity made it to the, you know, light bulb in the house of the payer. And so it's kind of like decoupling some of the ecosystem services and benefits from the logistics of the aggregated food system. You know, it's all a thousand producers sending all their flour to gold metal flour processing or whatever. You know, there's no way to ever kind of get a system where, you know, uh, consumers can pay a premium and change the world and save the world at scale or whatever. And so this is really kind of like year one, essentially month one of like this kind of work at scale where we've, you know, been doing this for a couple of years. Uh, and then we just finally in the past couple of months were awarded um, a relatively significant USDA grant as part of a big round of Climate Smart Commodities grant as the USDA is scaling up the work on um, agricultural solutions. Um, and so we've been like gradually proving out this concept and then starting these discussions and conversations with local policymakers, again, like Sonoma. Uh, and so I had the good fortune of meeting with David um, at a recent regenerative food systems investment conference and kind of presenting some of this work and, uh, and thus the invitation. Um, there's one more, I'll get back to this in a second. Uh, there's one last thing, which is that um, there's an additional lever for change because California is scaling up compost um, application and creation and organic matter diversion through a regulation SB 1383. And so basically, as the state is starting to divert additional organic matter, there will be five to nine million additional tons of compost per year. Meanwhile, uh, in order to meet that additional supply of compost, jurisdictions must purchase some compost to ensure that there's some statewide demand. You know, you imagine an operator in a region embarking on a compost facility, you know, as part of their business model, hopefully someone's going to buy the compost. So this is part of that. And so you've got situations where like the city of San Francisco needs to purchase 40,000 tons of compost per year. And then Zero Food Print is starting to become a government contractor for the city, for example, and like oversee these compost projects on farms and ranches that they're kind of funding um, as part of their SB 1383 procurement. So I think Sausalito has to purchase like 300 tons or something like it's relatively manageable. Marin County as a whole needs to purchase something like 12,000 tons of compost. But nevertheless, this kind of restaurant or food business program can kind of almost like kill two birds with one stone where it's making progress on the climate action plan while also meeting, you know, actual calorie cycle requirements to buy compost and different things. Uh, part of it is that a compost project probably like a third of the cost is buying the compost and two thirds of the cost is the freight and the logistics to accomplish the project. You know, the 18 wheeler to get the compost out to the farm, the spreading equipment or labor, et cetera. Um, and so this kind of program is very uh, beneficial in that it can basically fill that delta for the freight and logistics, even if a jurisdiction were purchasing the compost as part of their SB 1383 work. All right, and so I'll just end with one last slide. Um, I know there's this group Drawdown Marin or this movement uh, I've spoken with Alex Portishaver before. Um, she kind of pigeonholed this, I think, as sort of like a, you know, cute restaurant movement or something and didn't really do anything with it. Um, so I'm pleased to be here and, you know, potentially put it forth for your consideration. Uh, but basically, we were also very inspired by the work of Project Drawdown, you know, which is doing a lot of important, like, climate work overall. And so this is a chart of the various opportunities 
uh, in climate, which is a little bit different from the usual breakdown of like the sources of emissions. So again, the opportunities. And what Drawdown is finding is that basically food and ag and land and land sinks like carbon sequestration are independently some of the most important climate solutions and then together potentially even the biggest. Um, and then also Drawdown finds that, you know, basically at scale, society could solve the climate crisis if we could generate $29 trillion to fund all the different solutions over the next couple of decades or whatever. $29 trillion obviously seems like a lot of money. It also is just 1% of GDP each year. You know, that $1 trillion a year would be enough to have temperatures going down by 2050. Um, and so, you know, I think there's a tendency to kind of like look at climate and feel a bunch of anxiety and, you know, crawl in bed and paralysis. But actually, it's just going from 0.0%, you know, of every dollar to climate to just a penny. Um, and so it starts to feel very optimistic this way. Um, so, you know, basically, my hope is that Sausalito can, you know, take some of the model ordinances that have already been drafted, review them, consider a potential timeline, like maybe we could implement this in 2025, 2028, 2030, and then work backwards and think like, well, what would we need for the political will to implement this in 2025? Oh, we would need like 20 restaurants participating. Well, how would we get to 20 restaurants participating? Oh, my friend owns a restaurant, let's get one, or let's get three, you know, et cetera, and then just start moving towards that political will that would allow for a switch from an informal opt-in program to a formal opt-out program at some point in the next five or 10 years. So, sorry, I'm gonna shut up. Sorry if I went over time, um, but I'm no. glad to answer any questions. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, yeah, I mean, knowing we didn't have our second speaker, um, I thought it was important to, this is a really complex topic. Um, uh, and I, I could have lots of questions for, for hours on it, um, on, you know, just many, many different aspects of it. But I think for tonight, because this is a speaker presentation where we, we typically won't get into discussions. We're just in the info gathering stage. My question would be, um, knowing there's a lot of complexities here and, and we would need you know, separate meetings to understand the details. What is, what is required of the actual city in terms of resourcing and you know, managing a program like this? Oh, great question. So, so far we are starting collaborations with um, Boulder County and City of Boulder, um, and then informal collaborations with Petaluma because they have some funding through the Cool Cities Challenge. Uh, we are very glad to operate informally or formally. So if somebody just wanted to organize a webinar with five restaurant owners or food businesses, we would be glad to just come to any kind of gathering like that and present and see if one or two businesses wanted to participate. Or it could be something formal where it's like, you know, uh, you put out an RFP and seek a contractor to begin a, you know, local carbon sequestration program or like circular economy program or blah, blah, blah. Um, so you're allowing only... people, basically, you're allowing opt-in approach where people can really dip their foot into what it's like to sort of dip into the carbon removal uh, landscape through through FUNAG, um, but at a, in, in a consortium-based approach. And then at some point you're looking for people to take more of a stake in that and, and sign a formal agreement and, and really take command of it and actually account for it and, 
basically adopt a net zero solution and utilizing those removals toward that, that goal? Yeah, potentially, like what you just said with the net zero and utilizing, that's kind of up to you. Um, there's another uh, regulation, I guess you'd call it a bill, SB 27, that is tasking Air Resources Board and CNRA with developing a statewide carbon registry. And so those folks are talking about trying to like get that off the ground and public in July, by July 2023. And so there's going to start to be this possibility for jurisdictions to be like registering carbon sequestration projects on a statewide registry. You know, again, everything's very early days. Yeah. Uh, but basically, you know, it could be part of your climate action plan and net zero goals, or it could just be because you want to start making progress and then it goes on this registry, et cetera. Yep. Got it. Thank you. And I, I personally, I like the opt-in approach that allows people to just get educated on what's going on. And it just comes to mind, you know, some of the things we're exploring right now is a green business, Sausalito green business plan and, oh, and things like that. And, you know, might this be a menu item, you know, for a restaurant to consider to say, oh, that's interesting. I want to opt in in there. And then perhaps through that, be able to get, you know, some sort of recognition in the short term. So thank you. Um, Mark, is a question? Yeah, thank you, Anthony. Um, you mentioned uh, ordinances. Um, are there cities that are adopting ordinances that require restaurants to uh, opt in? Not yet. Um, give me a couple of years. Thank you. Uh, they've been drafted. Greg has a question. Yeah, yeah, this is great. Thank you, Anthony. Um, you mentioned Drawdown and Alex Portishover, and I just was curious if, um, <clears throat> excuse me, you're aware of the new Marin County nonprofit called Marin Can, which has, is sort of taking over the, the Drawdown Marin initiative. And it's, not. What's that? Uh, I was not, so perhaps okay. that would just be the first action is just making a warm intro or something. That would be amazing. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I'm involved in that um, initiative as I was with Drawdown. So it seems to me like uh, introducing this to Marin Can through Sam Rubin, who's the executive director and he used to be on the Sausalito Sustainability Commission, would be a good thing here. So uh, I can help with that. Thanks so much. That's that's perfect, I think. Yeah, that was my thought is that this seems like, you know, such a quicker path to success through the county. Um, even though Sausalito is a really good target because we do have so many restaurants in one small place. Um, but from a scale perspective, getting a county behind it would be much more powerful. But still the opt-in and allowing different jurisdictions to come in on their own, it's, it's a nice model. Thanks. Anyone else have uh, any questions? Okay, thank you so much, Anthony. Yeah, Anthony, I'm a, huge, I'm a huge Mission Chinese food fan. I just have to say. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, appreciate yep. it. I'm a I huge love, fan, and I, I love this project. So whatever the city can do to be helpful, um, I'm the city council liaison. So I'll get your email from Lauren and follow up with you, so I can share the presentation with some of my colleagues. Cool. Thanks so much. And uh, what was the name of the restaurant in New York? I was there at that time. Uh, it was also called Mission Chinese Food. Okay. Right. It's so good, Lauren. I, it's just... <laughs> I left right after that. 
All right. Well, thank you, Anthony. I'm sure we'll be in touch and, and appreciate your time. Well, thank you for your time. Thanks, David. Uh, looking forward to connecting, Greg. And thanks, Melissa. Bye. Thank you. All right. Um, hang on one second here. I'm just opening up all these email here. All right. So the next uh, section we have, we're moving into our housekeeping and committee updates. First up, Melissa, um, City Council liaison update. Uh, okay, so I have a bunch. One second, I'm walking my dog, so I'm just gonna get to a quiet place. Do you want me <laughs> to come on. back to you, Melissa? Yeah, can you circle back to me? Can I go second? Because yeah, I'm gonna be absolutely. home in just a second. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's uh, let's move into. Oh, I guess let, let me go. <laughs> um, we'll move into waste and public outreach, which we we sometimes bundle together because um, it's generally the same committee and the issues bundled together. Um, for new items um, to update you on, uh, we have an event coming up that's been on the outreach list for some time. It's uh, Greg and I uh, are booked at Sustainable Saturday. It's a Sausalito Women's Club on November 19th. So that's a week from Saturday. You'll see the promo for that um, in Sausalito Currents tomorrow and next Friday. It's also being promoted by the Sausalito Women's Club. And uh, it's a very casual, you know, informal setting where Greg and I will be there to talk about the commission's work. Uh, and if you all are free, it's 10 to 12. Um, join us as part of the discussion. I mean, Greg and I are, are the two people that are listed, but by all means, whoever wants to come and be part of the discussion, we welcome you. Um, and um, so that's, that's coming up. And I mean, we'll be covering, I think, high level um, our, our objectives. And But I think if you have ideas or thoughts on what you really think would be useful to bring to the group, please do share it so we can be sure we, we haven't missed it. You know, we want to talk about things like, um, and this sort of blends into a, another topic on outreach, the, the leaf blower ban. We're now uh, in effect this ordinance that was passed. So the date hit at the end of September and there are questions about compliance and is the process working? I ran into someone on the street walking my dog who was carrying a sign, a handmade written sign. Um, and uh, there was a leaf blower down the street and he looked you know, upset and I said, you know, there's a ban now. <laughs> And he, I know, and he held up his sign and he had gone into writing this sign. I said, that's amazing. And I introduced myself and turned out he was one of our folks that had come to our sessions before. So it was a really impromptu meet on the street. But the point being the outreach, the ideas we've had about coming up with flyers so that people can hand them out. Um, we wanna enable conversations. A lot of people maybe haven't heard this and are just in innocently just doing their leaf blowing. They don't know that it's not um, part of the plan anymore. So I'm curious if the city has any updates on the implementation other than what was in currents, which is call this number. Any any promotion, any flyers, anything that you know about Lee? 
Uh, not that I know of. I know that you're supposed to call the police department. Um, you know, not not public works on uh, any issues that come up. Well, sure that'll go. That'll go over well. <laughs> I uh, I think that you know I thought about going. I know that the call goes into the police department. I thought about trying to you know get a sense of stats so far, but it's just too soon. I I think it would be very interesting. Come. Um, it's also getting into winter, but, but leaves are falling. So I, I think it'd be interesting to see what, what they're hearing um, and also to look at some compliance. So we'll run that through outreach. That'll be a goal for 2023. Um, but um, things like that, other hot topics, if you want Greg and I to put them on the conversation list for next Saturday, please let us know. Other things um, outreach committee has been focused on that are new. Um, I don't have too much new stuff other than to turn it over to Nick who does have some new stuff. He's had some connections. We introduced him as the point person for Sausalito Beautiful and to take up the dock foam um, issue that we talked about previously. So Nick, I'll turn it over to you. Okay, great. Yeah, I can give a quick update on what's been going on with the dock foam and microplastics. Um, I've been working with Amy, who's the sustainability coordinator over at Call of the Sea. And one of the first steps we want to understand is just like, what's the impact? Like, where is this foam coming from? We're obviously seeing it in the Bay, but which parts of our community are contributing to it? So we did an audit of the entire Sausalito waterfront to see which docks are have foam like base floats and um some of the findings there is like we're seeing that like the a majority of these docks look to be owned by private residencies um so what we're trying to figure out is like what's the actual impact in, in terms of like the operational impact like these things are going to have to be moved from one place to another place there's going to be a cost associated with this so i think we're like far away from even creating like a recommendation from like what this would look like as an ordinance because the impact would be like pretty severe to the community. So um, what we're doing right now is like, we're trying to quantify some of these things and, and what it would look like before we can make recommendations. But I think we have a good understanding of where the foam is coming from um, and what the overall impact is to the Bay. Um, but we're still kind of coordinating on that to, to make recommendations. Yeah, it's incredible the work that you two did that you sent an email with sort of a summary. It was, it blew me away how much you all had done. Thank you so much. And I agree that it's, it's going to be a little bit more complex than perhaps we originally thought, um, thanks to what you've uncovered. So it just goes to show that, you know, this is a complex, <laughs> that's why they call it the transition, right? Which sometimes gets, eye rolls, but it's, it's a word for a reason. This stuff isn't easy and there's a lot of um, a lot of steps. So thank you. And, and um, any other updates, Nick? I think it's just you and me here on the phone from Outreach today. I think that's like those, that's the big update. Okay. Greg Christie, did you want to chime in on anything um, in the waste world? Uh, no, I, there was nothing really to, um, we're, we're, oh, on the, um, outreach with leftover, uh, stuff we had from the, uh, the ordinance for the compostables, the plastic span, um, yeah. we've been the restaurants just 
you know, some of the smaller mom and pop kind of places and telling them about it, passing out some of the kits. So Amazing. Yeah, we have the kits. I, I probably have to replenish them because we had a lot of one stuff and not many, many of the cups and stuff. So it, it, it's, it's working out good. But, That's so. wonderful. What's the reaction when you, when you go into the restaurants and, and they, and tell them about it and give them the sample? Do they, are they receptive? Are they, do they seem open to perhaps making a switch? Yeah, no, they're, they're, everybody's receptive about it. If they, they had some supplies, then some people want to know what do they do with the supplies that they have currently in stock. We said, well, you should have used them up already, but, you know, use them and then start purchasing. But they're, everybody's receptive to it. Yes, everybody's receptive to it. We did another round today. I, we also did that round. So I'll, I didn't get a report back on on how that went, but we we're still we were work we're, we're working from north to south, and we're focusing on the smaller places that we know that we that we know probably didn't get visited. Great, great. Okay, uh, I think that's um, that's about it for outreach. I'm just looking at uh, the template here in terms of new items. I think we have covered it. Um, so next up. Um, Melissa, are you ready? You want me to keep going? I'm ready. Okay, over to you. Okay, perfect. So I have a, a, actually um, quite a few things that I want to update on. Um, today I had a meeting with Mayor Kelman and, and Jacqueline, who is our grant writer, one of our three grants that he Mayor and I are working very hard on is finding for climate resiliency related projects. So we, I know that Janelle forwarded to you, Lauren and Greg, um, some of the grant background stuff from Jacqueline and hadn't heard back, but um, just, to, just to say, we're applying for two different types of grants right now. One's a smart transportation grant and one is the attain grant and they both pertain to infrastructure development. And our proposal is gonna be around um, rubber pavement, which is more climate resilient and also allows us to repave our roads and help with flooding and we'll add sensors for sea level rise. So um, the reason I bring that up is I wanted you to know what we're working on and see if you might get your feedback on it. But additionally, if you guys have ideas for projects for. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> it must not have been a safe place. <laughs> oh. oh, There she is. Sorry. So if we wanted to do something around, uh, for instance, Anthony's project on food ag resiliency, or if we wanted to do something bigger, or if you had ideas, or even if the. Sustainability Commission wanted to have a liaison to work on some of these grant writing opportunities with us, that would be great. So I wanted to make sure that you were aware of that and that that work is being done. That's the first point. The second point, and I know we're going to speak to this uh, when we hear from the county and from Mark on the electrification piece, but I wanted to note for those of you that weren't at the meeting that I signed the Sustainability Commission up essentially to be responsible for the outreach. And so we need to talk about what that looks like. Mark and I and Greg have had a few conversations around how we best talk with our neighbors in the community about updating the reach codes and how to be effective with regards to, you know, is it a current newsletter? Is it a survey? Are we gonna put it on our website? What type of outreach did the county do? But I think that needs to be, some of it needs to be decided tonight and then put on the agenda for the next meeting so that we can get the reach codes back 
uh, onto the city council's radar and our scheduling calendar by the end of Q1. So that's important as well. Um, and then, wait, I uh, wrote down one more thing. Uh, oh, the other, just a, just a note that um, the state laws have changed around meetings online. So I wanted you guys to be aware that there's a chance that the next meeting may be mandated to be in person. You'll obviously be um, let, you'll we'll obviously let you know when we know more, but I wanted to make sure you were aware of that as well. And then on the agenda, I, I think in a lot of ways, this could potentially relate to some of the work the Sustainability Commission does, but there's been a lot of conversation around undergrounding power lines and what the best way to do that is. And I think that that opens a conversation about how are we developing and using our energy infrastructure in Sausalito. And I would like us to think about that because we still have an opt-in for MCE and I would really like it to be an opt-out. Um, so those are some of the main pieces of what we're working on and I'm happy to answer any questions you have, but wanted to get you guys up to date. Also a huge thank you to Mark for everything he did on the electrification ordinance and pushing that forward. I'm sure you'll hear about it more when the agenda item comes up, but definitely want to acknowledge it. Thanks, Melissa. Any questions for Melissa? I have, a quick, I have a quick question. How far did we get on the, the rubber pavement? Because that's a, that's a big deal. I know, we didn't get anywhere yet. We're applying, the grant is due next week. I'm gonna tell oh, you, great. if you to be involved, okay. Ali, I would love for you to be engaged with us on that. That would be yeah, great. Yeah, absolutely, okay. Is that something you have experience with? Um, I know we're repaving roads and right now we've gone out to Van Mitty for repairing just via concrete. But if we can get away from that and go with rubber pavement, I'm, I'm all for it. Okay, great, I love that. All right, cool. Well, we'll keep you in, in the loop then, Ali, and we can talk about it more. Sure, thanks. Melissa, my question was on timing and you sort of just answered the grants due next week. And the, so do you have to have the specifics? No, so, so Jacqueline has a lot of the background information already, uh, but this is one grant opportunity and there will be many more. I'm happy to share a draft with you guys if you want to take a look at it and provide some insight or comments before it's submitted. She's going to send us something probably on Monday because tomorrow's Veterans Day and a holiday and City Hall is closed. Um, but, but there are a lot of grants like this. For instance, I've been, I went to a meeting on infrastructure with Mayor Villaragosa, who's running the, who's running the deployment of the infrastructure funds for the state. And there is, you know, literally billions of dollars to, to be good gained around projects that put climate first. And I think that we should have our fingers in that pot and be thinking about how we want to apply for them and spend them. So yeah. I know we have lots of subcommittees. I will come to you with what some of the grants are and maybe, you know, I don't know which committee you want it to be a part of. You guys have a lot on your plate, but I just wanted you to be aware that we're actively seeking funding for some of these things and, and I'll be sharing them with you as they come up. Well, and I think it, you know, begs the question, we can get into it when we start talking, you know, in, in the coming year about priorities. Right. And, you know, do we think about, are we still at a phase in this commission where we operate in a subcommittee capacity or do we make a shift because we've together identified five major project priorities that need help and that you know we want to put at least some of our subcommittees into that capacity I mean I think that's part of the year end beginning of the year process that will be really interesting to take a look at that's exciting and then uh, just a quick question um, is, Melissa, is there any status on the sustainability manager role that hopefully is happening? We're recruiting. I had a call with Janelle and the vice mayor of Mill Valley to see if they would share in the cost. 
they were interested, but not right on board. And Tiburon seems more interested. So, but we are actively recruiting and having discussions. So we don't have a hire yet, but we did yeah. post the job. So that's a step in the right direction. And so, okay, good. So is it, can we, or should we expect that at some point in 2023, that role will be filled and we, yeah. Yes. Okay, yes. great, thank you. Great. Okay. Um, anything on equity liaison, David? Um, no, I don't have anything to report on that. I think okay. though we've got some issues that are starting to happen sort of around these topics, um, certainly with respect to a lot of the, um, the building that's proposed and also some of the um, conversations that are going on in Rin City. So I think we're starting to see some, some opportunities to, to, to think about more of those types of topics as we are approaching some of these resolutions that have been, you know, COVID sort of put a lot of these topics um, in, in hiatus and now they're coming up again. So I think as we as a community and we as a city and um, some of the changes that we're starting to see coming through both building and, and some of the redevelopment and the way that um, our, our, part, our neighbor, Marin, the Marin City, um, there's some stuff coming on. So I think hmm. now it's time to get, get more involved in that. That's a really important point. I mean, as we're sitting here talking about all these different ordinances and yeah, that, that liaison lens um, or that, that, you know, the equity lens that that liaison role is there to apply. Sure. Thank you for reminding us of that. I mean, just, just, I mean, there's a lot of traffic right now around the story poles in Schumacher and, you know, we've got different neighbors who are, a little surprised by that and how does that fit into climate change how does that fit into sea level rise how does that fit into views how does that fit into disenfranchisement um so yeah i think we're, we're going to start seeing more of this so as we as a as a as a liaison to that need to to start i think now be more active about it thank you greg marin county liaison Yes, um, I attended the most uh, recent Marin Can board meeting, which was yesterday, and I'm going to continue attending those and contributing to those and working with Marin Can and, and Sam Rubin, who's the executive director who used to be on the commission here, um, to make sure that, and I made this comment again yesterday, that we are, you know, collaborating as a sustainability commission with Marin Can and their priorities and, and, and the initiatives that they pursue. So that's going to continue. And then also um, feeding to them things that we are, you know, consider as our priorities. So as we go through the 2023 key priorities, I'll make sure that we you know, are sitting down with the right people, obviously in Sausalito, but also across the county to help advance those priorities, right? Um, for in whatever way that that we we can leverage that, you know, Marin Can nonprofit to do that, as well as with the other jurisdictions. And um, the more we collaborate, the more we establish the right priorities for us, and the more we work that across the county, the more advanced, you know, the more the more um, uh, speed we'll have in getting these things accomplished, just like in that, you know, presentation earlier on the ag stuff. So, 
Mm -hmm. um, that's the latest update. Great, thank you. Yeah, and they're, you know, they're still in early stages, so they're still establishing their, you know, how do they approach the priorities? How do they work with others? Um, how do they have subcommittees and other things? It's, it's still early on there. So it's a good time to be <laughs> working with them. Right. What about sea level rise? Sticking with you, Greg. Yeah, sea level rise. So um, fantastic group of people led by our mayor, um, Janelle, and really making good progress on how do we um, assess the sea level rise impact for us here? And then what does that mean in terms of funding and projects to deal with it? And then we have a business item coming up in that section that we'll bring up related to the sea level rise task force and our um, support for that and what they want to accomplish. So we'll talk about that in the business items. Um, water conservation, I know Kimry's out today. David, do you have any updates? I don't. Okay. Energy subcommittee, I know you've got a business item. Do you have any updates other than what you're covering later? Um, I, yeah, Mark is going to lead us through, um, the ordinance and electrification stuff when we get to that, that item. Um, well, Mark, do you want to start? And then I have something else to, 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 to talk about. Um, sure. I'm going to cover it in the business item, if that's okay. Um, so, uh, take it away, Greg. Yeah. So, um, Thanks to our mayor, I was introduced to a person who is uh, a founder of a new solution to help decarbonize homes and small businesses. And essentially, if you think about it, you go onto a, you know, a website or an app and you put your address in and you click some boxes about what you wanna do. And the, the intent here is that you're given uh, the information and the, re the local resources, the vendors or resources, who can decarbonize your home or your small business. And so if you're interested in solar or energy storage or a combination, if you're interested in getting rid of your gas appliances and getting a heat pump or putting in an induction stove, whatever, and, and including uh, landscaping stuff, so this is a great idea. We all know how great it would be if you could just click a couple of buttons, put in your address and have people contacting you to say, oh yeah, we can you know, provide the funding and decarbonize your home or your business and it's gonna be really easy for you. So my thought is um, that Mark and I will talk through this as the energy uh, and Reza uh, as the energy subcommittee and figure out how we as a commission bring forward these types of solutions that will help accelerate and scale, you know, um, decarbonizing and providing clean energy solutions to, you know, Sausalito and our residents and businesses. So I'm just tossing that out there as um, an opportunity for us to, to do more on the marketing slash outreach slash platform solutions to help this with the city. I mean, anything that makes it, the, the the education piece is is plug and play yep. is beautiful. Yeah, plug right? and play. Yeah, great. Plug and play is the word that they this guy used to, and he he actually grew up in Marin. He's a founder. He's he has a very strong interest in obviously getting this thing off the ground, but he seems to be very sharp 
and comprehensive about it and would love to do a, you know, a, a, a trial in Marin. And, and so we're going to keep talking and then I'll get Mark and Reza involved and we'll figure out what the strategy is to, to do this. Yeah, exactly. That's exciting. Yeah, thank you, Greg. Um, that'll be a great addition to the uh, outreach resources, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and finally, final housekeeping item, um, Greg and David on transportation. I'm excited about this because it's, it's, I, have, I have my status slide and it's in green because thanks to Ali and the city, we now have, and I, I think I should have mentioned this in our last meeting, but I didn't have all the information. So the city has now approved seven stations, 14 level two ports at three sites. So two stations, four ports at City Hall, two stations, four ports at lot two, the B of A building lot, and then three stations, six ports at Dunphy Park. So we're getting our EV charging station. Yes. <laughs> and I'm very happy about that. It's been a long haul, but- um, Woo, we did it. We did it. It's so important. Thank you, Ali, for all your work on that. And by the way, the grant funds, you know, that MCE and TAM provide, are covering $91,000 of the estimated project cost of about 116,000. So it's, you know, majority of the cost is covered. It's, you know, it's all there in the grant funds. So I don't, I'll, you may have more to add here. I don't know. I just wanted to, to be, to make sure I, I was like saying thank you and to make sure we knew that uh, we're no longer the EV charging desert that we were, we were once called. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think we did agree to do that. I think uh, I think uh, council wanted to shift some of the who's this Brian right? Um, shift some of the EV stations around. I think they said maybe um, not so much at the B of A, but maybe more at City Hall. So um, we're moving. We're going to move them around. I think we've asked Intertai to um, you know come up with a presentation or uh, numbers of fees. You know, different um, fee structures on how we can charge either the city or the residents. Um, and that's still in the works, but we're getting closer and closer. And, and, and in this moving around, if, if there's any way to add more charges, please do. <laughs> yes. And by the way, if you don't know, Intertai is a local Sausalito-based marine ship, EV charging and energy storage company. And so that's very, very cool. Fantastic. David, you got more to add? <laughs> no, I, I just wanted to <laughs> just kind of second the intertight connection um, because they are a local business and the gentleman's name is Richard Merlick and he's really um, kind of popped up in at least five different sort of compass headings lately in my networks. Um, so whatever he's doing, it seems to be working and he does have a charger um, over at, I don't know what's the best way to, to describe it, but it's where the Chinese food restaurant is and Avatar is, and it's one of his systems and the batteries are underground from what I understand. Yeah. Um, and he's really, um, you know, as a, as a sort of a startup in Sausalito around this particular type of activity, I think it's terrific to have him um, here in the city and, and doing what he's doing and apparently making quite a big splash, particularly in large commercial um, solution sets. So um, I welcome Intertie and I think we should really reach out and 
and you know involve our local community and our local business people and the, and the folks that are taking a risk in this particular type of um, environment. That's been, that's a fantastic story. Uh, yeah, that's cool. All of, all of these chargers are going to be supplied by Intertie. Yes, yes, all of them, are, all seven. Which is yeah. which is this that's is amazing. such a great story because it's a Sausalito business. It's a startup. Richard's awesome and he's really making headways into yeah. um, the space. And I was just introduced to him on a project I'm working on in Oakland with a fleet um, system. So, and he's also working with, uh, I think a Mill Valley um, trash system as well um, around some of their charging needs. So um, kudos to us for including our local business. That's amazing. That should always be our first look, you know, the, the local business. And here we are. What is the timing on that? You know, when when can we start to tell that story and get people excited? Um, I'm going to try to have them. I mean, I'm working on them with the, getting the fee structure. So once that gets done, uh, we need to present that to city council for um, their approval. Okay. Um, so I don't remember when. That's probably, fantastic. Yeah, Jan January, probably something like that. Amazing. Yes. This is really, really terrific. And, yeah. um, and um, I'm really pleased that we ended up with a solution set, particularly with a local, uh, local business. And as soon as we're able, Ali, you know, I'd love to, you know, talk with, I mean, I think that this is so significant and with the local business tie-in, I'd love to talk to Abbott about really punching up a story about it versus it just be something down there as a commission update. I think this is absolutely fantastic. So as soon as you think we're on the, the cusp of when we can tell that story, if it's before the next time we convene, please please let me know and I'll okay. work on that. Sure. Okay, great. Um, okay, so let's move into our business items. And first up, um, we have Marin County Model Green Building Reach Codes uh, led by Mark. Take it away, Mark. And I know we have a guest um, joining you, I believe. Yes, it looks like uh, Brian is joining us. Welcome, Brian. Hi, Brian. Brian is a sustainability planner with Marin County, and uh, we've invited him to join us today. He's uh, basically been operating the uh, Marin County Green Building Program along with uh, Dana, and uh, he, he is here to talk about uh, his outreach efforts that the county has uh, undergone. Um, and that's kind of something that Sausalito is just about to launch into. Uh, before we get started on this item, uh, I did want to uh, just uh, point to that uh, PDF that's linked on the agenda for So You Want to Install a Heat Pump. It's done by David Moeller, one of the uh, Electrification Squad members, and it's very well done. And I would uh, encourage you to uh, view that if you haven't seen it already. It has a lot of really good information to as uh, an outreach piece to educate people about what heat pumps are all about, how they work, what they cost, who can do it, and uh, all the advantages therein. I also want to mention that I uh, attended a, a Green Build International Expo and Conference last week. Uh, I think it was my 15th one that I've been to. Uh, it was in San Francisco, of course, uh, which made it pretty easy. But uh, there were a number of sessions on electrification that I attended, and, and a number of those were on, uh, had uh, real definite equity considerations for 
uh, electrification and, and green building and making sure that we don't leave our more disadvantaged neighborhoods behind. And I, I, I uh, once some of those videos are uh, up and, and, and available for sharing, I'll, I'll be glad to, to do that. But it was a, a great conference and I really got a lot, a lot out of it. I'm so glad that I, I went. Uh, I would like to share my screen here for a second. Um, here's the uh, sustainability tracker, and you might have to move the, uh, the people bar uh, if, if you want to see the right-hand side of the screen. But under steps complete uh, on October 25th, City Council approved at first reading the Triannual Building Code Ordinance with a placeholder chapter in the Municipal Building Code for Cal Green with the stated intent of adopting REACH code in quarter one, uh, 2023. The, uh, the Sausalito Sustainability Commission recommended uh, REACH codes, including Calgary Tier 1, the new construction electrification, uh, improving energy efficiency of major renovations, and the fourth one is the EV charging infrastructure. I'll dive just a little bit um, um, in the detail on that in a second, but uh, and far as status and next steps, uh, the second reading at City Council will be uh, this coming uh, Tuesday, uh, 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 the, November 15th at, at 7 p.m. is the meeting. And uh, City Council has recommended that the Commission and City staff conduct a public outreach and education campaign to garner community support for REACH codes. Uh, the outreach plan includes uh, the following uh, frequently asked questions, a mailer, currents, community survey, and we're, we should come up with a timeline and a budget uh, to, to, to get this thing going. Uh, and then the last point is that city staff will draft the REACH code amendments to the ordinance uh, to be adopted sometime in the first quarter of 2023. Uh, before I go on, are there any questions about this little summary? Okay. Uh, so I wanted to give you a little update on the REACH code and some outreach resources. Um, let's see. Uh, the, the Board of Supervisors uh, in Marin County uh, on October 18th unanimously adopted the four REACH codes and uh, Brian made a, a great presentation at this meeting. Uh, I also provided a little bit of public comment, uh, but it basically mirrors the recommendations that we've made to our city council. Um, there are some uh, resources that the county has come up with uh, for adoption and support of, of tools. Uh, does this green come up for you? Uh, uh, showing the resources from this, the county? Not yet. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, it's it's linked in the presentation, so uh, it's not coming through on the PowerPoint. But at any rate, the uh, See, support tools. I don't tools... think you're sharing your screen anymore. Oh, okay. That's... Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Just a second. I've got the PowerPoint. Okay. So the, the adoption support tools show um, codes from uh, uh, various jurisdictions in, in the county 
as well as what the Marin uh, County has come up with. The uh, Bay Area Regional Energy Network is a, a group that uh, supports uh, through education and training and en free engineering to municipalities to uh, help adopt uh, these types of codes. And uh, they've been very instrumental in providing a very high level of, of education and, and outreach on, on this effort. Uh, I wanted, we haven't talked about much about EV charging in, uh, with, in regarding to the code updates. And I wanted to just give you a very high level uh, look at what's going on in terms of uh, the definitions here. We've got three definitions, one EV capable where the building itself has the capacity to support charging. EV ready is where you actually have a branch circuit uh, that, that's, that can support EV charging. And then EV installed or uh, EV chargers is, is when you actually have a ready to use EV charging station. And the county's recommendations on this, this effort is that uh, the EV installed or even char EV chargers would be in multifamily properties, about 15% would be required to be 15% of parking places. And then EV ready would be 85% of charging, uh, char uh, parking places. Um, in terms of outreach, I've, I've done a little bit of looking around and uh, the Marin County has a series of frequently asked questions that I think that it was extremely well done. Um, I, I, I could share the link if I went back and forth with sharing my screen, but I'm not going to do that right now. Uh, so it, when we get to circulate this presentation, uh, you can certainly uh, click on the links and, and get these, uh, this, this information. Uh, they also ha have uh, conducted a survey and, and the results are uh, also linked here. I was at a meeting of the building electric electrification squad earlier uh, this evening and was introduced to a representative from uh, PSR of, of the San Francisco Bay Area, Physicians for Social Responsibility. They have a speakers bureau where they'll line up a, a physician to come talk to your group on uh, reach codes. And, and I think that's a, a excellent opportunity for us to, to have uh, some very knowledgeable people in the health field to collaborate with. Um, other uh, in, uh, outreach resources include incentives that we need to talk up. In fact, uh, with the IRA uh, uh, Inflation Reduction Act, uh, there are rebates available up to $14,000 for uh, uh, single family homes. Uh, this is in the low income category. In the middle income, it's $7,000 rebate. Uh, so we really have an opportunity to, to uh, coming up with a lot more funding coming into this space. It also will fund, the IRA will also in, uh, fund uh, reduced costs for induction cook, cooktops, uh, new insulation, windows, doors, ceiling, ductwork, and upgrading electrical panels and wiring for homes that have ele older electrical service. So a lot of the uh, uh, Things that may be required under these reach codes can be uh, uh, funded for certain uh, populations uh, through the uh, IRA. Uh, and to put a little finer point on it, uh, uh, there could be a lot of upgrades in, in low and middle income communities, uh, home energy retrofits, heat pump installations, new construction, and uh, commercial, feet, uh, commercial space retrofitted. 
Uh, Electrify Marin also has a series of rebates, which we've uh, talked about before, uh, that uh, uh, apply for all these electrification measures. And in California, uh, there are state uh, programs underway to really boost up the number of heat pumps being installed. Uh, I found this statistic uh, very interesting that uh, during 2022, every month, uh, heat, heat pump sales are exceeding gas furnace sales, and they're 10% higher year to date uh, uh, from last year. Um, uh, there are millions of households using heat pumps, and the IRA can uh, be could lead to quite a bit more, as well as uh, uh, retrofits for low and moderate income households. Uh, so, with that little overview, I'm going to uh, let Brian jump in here and and help ha have him. Uh, where am I? Okay. <laughs> See if I can stop sharing here. There we go. Okay, Brian, how are you? Good, good. Hey everyone, good evening. Um, so yeah, how did you uh, want to, I can, give you the quick rundown of what we presented at least to the county and my reach codes or I can answer questions how would you all like to structure this well I my my idea was to have you talk about the outreach efforts that you uh, the outreach went through maybe in a little bit more detail than uh, what I suggested in terms of your your um, uh, and, community engagement um, uh, sure. the, the resources and, and the survey Sure. And Brian, if you could, I mean, what we're trying to do here is we basically, not to be crass, but we want to copy everything you did. So essentially, we want to steal <laughs> your work in a very flattering way. So if after the meeting, you could even provide copies of the surveys or whatever, and maybe take us through what that out, like what the process looked like, so we can copy it and shorten it. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Stealing is fine. That's the point of what we call it model reach codes right it's prototyping and it's not like proprietary information this is <laughs> yes <laughs> feel free um and i'm here for support not only through development of the code but also for the building officials that i've told mark multiple times and all the other jurisdictions is through implementation and that's part of the work that i do so um let me focus on the outreach efforts and let me just bring up just one slide um i'm going to grab just so you have something to uh, focus your eyes on and just give me a second here um just share the screen and i've shared this multiple times with other commissions as well as uh board of supervisors with the county let me know if you can see it yes yes okay um okay great so oops i was gonna have this one so Here's sort of our stakeholder engagement. So since two, since actually, honestly, since 2021, September, I started this stakeholder engagement and I came from the school of Mark Palmer and the <laughs> San Francisco Department of Environment. And um, a lot of our work was about engaging stakeholders early and often. Because we know that as we 
um, uh, impact our communities, particularly with our building codes, that it's important to inform as well as gather information from our community. And what we soon find is that our community also can add value to the research and or the development of said policy or codes. I won't say to all codes, but I'm just in the, in the context of green building codes. So I started this really in earnest internally at the county in September of 2021 and really started moving that outside to um, other jurisdictions, um, key jurisdictions across the county, uh, staff, and then outside to the community. So first, um, we started with coordinating technical working meetings, that first check mark there with city and town building officials and planners. And so we had a total of five monthly meetings starting in really March or maybe even February. I forget. <laughs> it's been so long already. Um, but we had one monthly and the goal wasn't really so much to get consensus as it was to you know, inform as much as get a sense of where everyone lied and where their, uh, their gaps in knowledge and or capacity uh, uh, and their pain points are. And then we followed up with a community workshop in June, and then decided to add in three focus groups, uh, workshops with community uh, stakeholders that included the builders, the advocates and community-based organizations, so any and everyone. And so not just the builders, which are commonly who we would engage, the developers, architects, the developers, the contractors, and the advocates, not only environmental advocates, but also our community-based organizations, the frontline communities, equity priority communities, seniors aging in place, they were all at the table and have honestly contributed to shaping the, uh, the model reach code that we put forth. Um, so there was three focus group uh, workshops there. Um, and of course, ad hoc presentations and conversations with all community members and then um, at the end, we developed our county reach codes and model reach codes and shared with other jurisdictions consistently. And our goal really was not only to pass a reach code, but try to uniform the codes as much as possible across. So that was, in summary, our engagement over an entire year. And it was a lot of talking and it was above and beyond than what was even required. And I felt like it put us all in a good position to really get a general, at least a understanding of what needed to happen. Um, one of the things here that uh, um, that is not included here on the bullet points, we ended up with a, a survey and you probably wanna know more about that. So all those people that I just mentioned where we engage, so community-based organizations and building community and advocates, sent a media count, uh, kit to every one of them and said, look, can you, publish this to your um, your listservs, your newsletters, and have everyone take the survey. Not gonna say it's a complete unbiased survey. Um, it's, it's not one of those academic ones, but we did circulate it evenly throughout everyone that we engaged. Unless we had every email of every resident or every constituent in, across countywide, would have truly be an unbiased survey, but it did cover a wide swath of people that were affected, uh, possibly by the reach code. So we sent it out amongst those organizations, including to the included in our board of supervisors, 
um, each one of their news, five of them, all their newsletters. Um, we gave an opportunity for each jurisdiction's council members to publish it through whatever they have. So we tried the best that we can of everything that was sent out. We had about 128 respondents um, and all of them favorable towards passing reach codes. Um, so that was sort of a summation of our um, engagement efforts and, is, and, and, and our survey. Um, I think moving forward, um, it sounds like you all want to do something more targeted and locally. And if I could take San Anselmo as an, as an example, when I looked at their survey that they conducted, you ask anyone, hey, do you want to switch? Do you want to go all electric and gas? People are really going to react differently, right? Like, I don't know if that may or may not give you the answers you may want or want to hear. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're right or they're wrong or your community is wrong or, or right. It's just people aren't informed. You know, our everyday is about inflation or whatever else goes on in our everyday life. It's not about electrification or EV infrastructure and very, um, you know, sometimes esoteric information like this. Um, so you ask everyone like, hey, do you want to go electric? They're going to probably compute it as you're going to take away our gas. And so people are going to react differently that way. And in the case of San Anselmo, is they had a lot of uh, the survey that they put out uh, resulted in, you know, people really being against all electric codes. Nonetheless, they moved forward with that because that's what the council wanted. So my suggestion is if you move uh, out to your community to do this survey, I'm not familiar with how informed they are about the, uh, as Mark put it, the only tool in the toolbox you can do locally to reduce emissions, that is through building codes. Um, you basically ask people, hey, do you want more building codes? And most everyone's going to say no. <laughs> so, uh, you know, like, I don't know if, you know, you just got to be careful what you ask and who you distribute the survey to because, um, um, you know, you, you take the pulse of people right now, you, you probably won't get, uh, 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 you, you probably get what they're really feeling in the moment, but I, I feel like there needs to be a longer, if people were more informed of what the implications were, um, like we did with our stakeholder engagement, which took really a year, and that was very of a, of a sort of, uh, a microcosm of the community, not really the community writ large. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if you're going to get a true reflection of what maybe the community really would want. So I just want to be flag that for you all if you're can um, endeavoring a survey, uh, Lauren, and I can stop there. Sorry, go ahead. We'll... Yeah, just just a question, quick question while we're on the topic of survey. Mm. Is the objective, Melissa, to coming from the city to get a, I mean, are we after a pulse survey, which mm -hmm. is what you're describing, Brian, or are we after a survey that will, you know, is assessing education, assessing, you know, where, where we need to, is it about our implementation and assessing where we need to educate saying, you need, I think you need both. You need a little bit of both. Okay. 
because you need to demonstrate we need the political will to say that x number of residents are in favor of this and i think the the survey needs to be educational at the same time right so it might be a bookend survey um but yes uh uh, Lauren, you're, I think that's spot on is one thing you'll, you would conduct a survey, hands down, here's what people are going to say. I'm worried about grid reliability and how much is this going to cost? I mean, I, I would, that, that's the trend that we got. Even people who are uh, on a scale of one to 10 were in favor of going all electric or doing EV codes that are reached. They say we just got to be careful of cost and being conscious of that and 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 as a grid reliable, and I I'm pretty sure you'll get that and that's where we as a county have learned from the survey is that, um, that's where we need to continually focus our education and information piece because not only does that lead to people being informed but also if they were going to make the switch in a rapidly as we know transitioning technology world in particular in our built environment they want to be able to trip over those incentives you know and are those rebates you know they would need to be able to run into those like left and right because as mark illustrated they are very and you all know they're they're going to be particularly available as we flesh out what happens with uh, ira has anybody else, any other county or any other cities used your survey? To the extent is a staff report, just saying, hey, here's oh. what, um, in our staff report, here's what the county did. And I've given them all the information of how we surveyed it. And just being honest, like, you know, this was through the people that we engaged. Um, you know, here's the attachment, here's what the feedback was. Um, I did... I can easily send it to you. It's attached publicly already in our, our agendas with a board of supervisors. So um, it has all the uh, analytics as well as the comments that were included. So did you say San Anselmo did a survey and it came back unfavorable? It seemed that way. Uh, if I recall, it looked pretty unfavorable, um, but nonetheless, they moved forward at least sure. with, with everything anyways. So I, you know, again, I think that is more as Lauren was saying is sort of that indicates sort of our gaps in informing the public of the benefits of uh, of doing this uh, type of uh, policy work. Have other cities done surveys as well that have been unfavorable or favorable? Hmm. No, not that I know of across not a not across Marin County at least. Okay. No. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we need to uh, focus a little bit more on education before we do a survey. I, I agree that the survey could be both educational and, um, you know, having people express their views about electrification. But, um, uh, you know, if we do a survey right off the bat, it's li- liable to be, you know, not favorable. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the frequently asked questions, I think that, that, uh, the county came up with were were uh, really good. Uh, I think they're right here. Mm. That uh, it, it it actually addresses all those issues that uh, Brian was talking about. You know the why, the proposed ordinance. What what about for residences? Uh, there's the reliability and resilience mm. part. 
There's a part for builders. There's a part for jurisdictions. And these are just the questions. There's, there's detailed answers about all of these. And I think they did a, a really good job of, of, of uh, uh, flushing out the issues and, and providing accurate, concise yeah. answers to those. So that's available as as Mark has there in 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 a Word doc or I think it was a PDF, but also on our um, on our model reach code landing page. There's a FAQ section, and it's the same thing. It's just on a web HTML. And the survey, you know, the survey is interesting because you have a mix of audience, right? You're surveying a potential, you know, business owner, uh, like a restaurant owner who might mm -hmm. be, you know, fearful of a change you know, in a remodel, mm -hmm. you're maybe there's a developer, um, you know, and then there's a resident and there's mm -hmm. residents with different um, availability of, of funds through these incentives. Maybe some mm -hmm. people who won't have any will have less available and some who will. And without understanding who the people are that are responding with no, you know, profiles, that's yeah. you don't really know who's saying what. And also, the yep. people answering the survey don't really know what they're dealing with um, in terms of incentives. So yes, I agree, Mark, you know, some sort of education, but with that, what is the timeline on when this is pretty quick, right? We need to get this survey out and turned around in order to do something by Q1. So we don't really have the luxury of a, of a nice education page. Am I understanding that timeline correctly? Well, I mean, if we want to be successful, we might want to push it to Q2. That's, the urgency was just from the Sustainability Commission wanting to do it sooner rather than later. But if we want to be really successful in the campaign, it's okay if we put the reach codes on the agenda in the second quarter. I mean, do you feel, Melissa, that this is a, you know, from, and I apologize, you know, I was on the road, so I wasn't, I missed a lot of this back and forth in the last meetings and haven't had a chance to watch the recording, but do you feel like the consensus at the city council was, um, you know, we're, we'll adopt this if, if the community gives us. There was a lot of, there was pushback from a lot of members of the council about their concerns from residents and the building department. So I think the more we can say there was an aggressive education campaign and people are up to speed, the more likely we are to get it to pass. Look, I would vote for the reach codes right now, obviously, but I can't necessarily say the same thing for all of my colleagues. So, I mean, I would, and probably so would Janelle. And like, that's just a given because we're always going to vote. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, actually, I don't know. I haven't spoken with her about it, but I'm assuming I, and I've just realized this meeting is being recorded. So I can't say for sure that I would vote on the reach codes. But I'm very supportive of the reach codes. Um, I'm very supportive of the reach codes, as you know, but I think that we need more political will to be successful in getting them to pass yeah, based on some I, of the feedback we received. I mean, my inclination is is educating, engaging is probably going to yield if if the if the the temperature in the room is tepid to adopting it today, a survey that is just a, a quick survey to get it out there that we know from Brian's assessment of, of San Anselmo is, is, is a little bit tricky, then it's likely to stay tepid. If we take some time to engage, are we going to necessarily warm the response? I don't know. We might not, right? We might be in the same space and just 
a quarter later. So yeah. it's really, I don't, I don't know the answer. What, what do people. Can I, can I add to that? Sorry, go ahead, Greg. I'll oh, just, I'm, I'm thinking through this and, and, you know, we did it here, you know, and all that stuff. And I'm like, okay, let's put this under earthquake safety. <laughs> if you're going to remodel, we're going to take away your gas. So your home will be safe. <laughs> That's my funny comment for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's funny because we did it and I'm thinking here, it's like, man, I don't want any more gas lines into my home because if we have an earthquake, then it's going to be a danger to have gas into my home. So it's one of the one of the educational aspects here should be not, you know, it's the health benefits of not having gas in your home and the safety, you know, under an earthquake, you know, scenario. Is, is the issue with the, was the challenge at city council about the residents and the the efficiency piece of it for for remodels or was it about new construction it was a lot of both things there was public comment from residents saying this is too much we're not ready for it etc and then there was also a lot of concern about burden on the building department because it's a small department now we have a new community development director and things are shifting but the the burden of enforcement is is on the building department in terms of their codes and everything. So it's just another layer that they, that I think there was some apprehension about as well. I would I would actually add that um, going all electric streamlines the codes for them. They just have a fear of unknown because what we're finding in our what they have to enforce is no longer a delineation between what's you know, new construction, all electric or this construction, whatever it is, it's the same thing as state mandatory code. So I, I think that's sort of a, there's also the education on the and information. And that's what I strive to achieve in our technical working group meetings is to ensure that with the building officials, we had you. We have you in mind. We want to make sure that we streamline this as much as possible. Look, the state's heading in that direction, so one way or the other, you're going to deal with it. <laughs> um, but what we can do is streamline that. Number one, and I, I want to get back to the survey part. Is if you're trying to get multifamily developers or businesses to say, "Yeah, we want more codes," and to advocate for you on behalf of that, I think you're never going to find unless. unless I don't know if you saw San Rafael, if you were like Corey getting Chris Hart, a developer, <laughs> to go and say, I support what you guys say, but most developers aren't going to go up there and say, we support you. What you want to do is get it to a point where they feel like they're, they're residents as well, and feel like they've been hurt enough so that they don't stand in the way. Mm -hmm. That's where, that was our, our goalpost was we know we were gonna get advocates to advocate because that's what they're passionate about. We wanted to make sure the people they affected, whereas Marin Builders Association said a year and a half ago that we are against all electric. All of a sudden they're, yeah, let's do all electric, but we're not gonna stand up there at the board and say, yay, all electric. So I don't know if, again, I just wanna let you know my experience. Um, and in, in, in trying to get consensus, you're, it's hard to get that. Um, and if you're relying on that to move a policy forward, uh, my fear is that you would get stuck with that. You get stuck in a place where you can't move forward. So 
up to you all. I just want to let you know uh, my sense of things and sort of my experience, whether it was here over the last year or as well as in San Francisco. The other, if if I could add, uh, you know, to back up what Brian said about uh, building officials, you know, especially on a, a with a limited resources and a changing staff, uh, you know, it it is difficult. I I know it is, um, but um, you know, building officials are they, they most most of them really don't understand kind of going beyond the minimum requirements. You know, the minimum requirements is what building officials uh, stand by, and which are just enough to keep you out of jail. So, you know, by going beyond uh, what the minimum requirements are is kind of a foreign language to most code officials. And, mm. But realistically, you know, the whole code is changing here uh, as of January 1st, and they have to get used to a lot of new codes coming up. And there, the amount of work it's going to take to administer electrification is really not going to be any kind of measurable increase in the amount of uh, work that w the code officials have to do. It's just part of what they have to incorporate. They're, they're, the codes are changing all the time, and that's the, they're used to that. They know that every three years they're going to get a whole new set of codes to deal with. So, you know, I, I'm, you know, somewhat sympathetic because we have, you know, limited staff, but, you know, it's really up to the city council to make a determination on what the community wants to do and how to mm -hmm. go forward. And, and to give staff direction and you know they they need to provide the right amount of staff so that they can can do it properly and i know that we're under, under the gun in the, that uh, area but uh, hopefully that's going to get better and, and just on the communication point back to the the council meeting that you know all the public comment and and the the other bits um what were they reacting to was it a staff report, was it the staff report that was attached in the agenda? Was it a presentation? Did they have these? This was, this public comment on this was during the grand jury report response. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was no public comment uh, besides uh, David Moeller and myself uh, when they, uh, the building code was brought up uh, last, last meeting. So, so the, the really the, the, the community, especially the residents, really, there's probably a big need to simply detail what are we talking about when we're talking about remodels, what percentage, what does that look like, and what are these menu items that we're talking about that you would need to go and consider? Because, Mark, as you've explained it, a lot of this is very much low-hanging fruit that saves money and is easy to implement and is not everyone losing their gas-powered stove. It's, it's, you know, unless they're maybe tearing out, you know, 75% of their house, which is not really typical. So, I mean, perhaps it's, it's, you know, rather than a long, you know, year long education campaign, it's just really setting up uh, an education center for people to go to and say, okay, I'm a resident. Here's what it means for me. I'm a builder. Here's what it means for me. I'm a business. Here's what it means for me to review that and then to be able to complete the survey after that. Now, I, I don't know. If I you... would. Go ahead. I think that's I think that's a great approach. I would recommend. I mean, there's so much that needs to happen for us to have the outreach plan. I think there needs to be a subcommittee that I'm happy to participate on and help with in every way I can of what's in the survey. What does it look like and put it together? Because this is more than an hour discussion like yeah, of is. what. What we're, so I don't, I mean, I know we have, you guys have so many subcommittees, but I'm, I, I'm 
definitely volunteering to help as much as, as you guys need with this outreach piece and pulling it together. I just want to be, I, I just want to be yeah. mindful of like how many steps there are. Yeah, no, it's not an overnight thing. Yeah. So let's table all this for now. And by table it, I just mean, you know, know that we have, I mean, first of all, let's pause and acknowledge what it took to get to this point. Mark, your work on this has been so inspiring and diligent and amazing. Thank you. Um, this is exactly what we were dreaming of at the beginning of this conversation. Wait for the county, see what the county is doing. Let's get something that is aligned with them so that we can be more plug and play and use that. That's exactly what's happening. So we should be very excited about where we are and engaging the public is what we want to do. So I think it's all just fantastic. And and um, we'll we'll talk about it in, you know, in the outreach committee and then activate Melissa, you know, somehow, you know, you're between now and the next meeting in January, come up with what what do we propose? We, we do. Um, I don't see, though, any surveys going out before, you know, Q1, you know, early Q1, maybe if, if we move quickly with a subcommittee. So realistically, I mean, I think I set that expectation for everyone. I'd like to add one thing on the, the renovation aspect. You know, there's that threshold that's been changed a number of times. Uh, the, the county is suggesting uh, anything more than 750 square feet would, would qualify for the, the target energy score. Uh, Sausalito has kind of indicated that they want to follow the definition of a substantial remodel at 50%, and in which case, you know, that's a very high threshold and they might get one project every two or three years of that magnitude, I don't know. Um, uh, anecdotally, Fairfax is going forward with a 200 square foot minimum. So any remodel over 200 square foot would uh, need to need to comply with the renovation aspect. And another thing I just learned tonight is that uh, San Anselmo is very much like in the same position that uh, Sausalito is, that they're passing their building codes, but they're going to be looking at the reach codes in the first quarter of, of next year. So, uh, and then they're, they're uh, city council is is uh, very much on board, but their staff is not. So they're they're mm -hmm. having some of the same challenges we are. Okay, good to know. Thank you. Any final comments? I don't think we have anything to vote on. So Brian, thank you very very much for all of this incredible work that we will shamelessly take and and move forward with. Thanks, nice. Brian. No shame at all, please. Yeah, thank you very much, Brian. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Good luck with all your work, y'all. Thank you. We'll be in touch, I'm sure. Okay, have a good night. Um, next up, we have a sea level rise task force recommendation for sea level rise assessments for projects and permitting. Greg. Yes, so on the sea level rise task force, they are working for... Um, ensuring that any project that comes to the city for approval, permitting, et cetera, et cetera, that would be impacted by sea level rise would have an assessment of that impact as part of the permitting approval planning process. And that makes a lot of sense. We're at that point where we need to make sure that any project um, that's gonna be impacted by sea level rise 
would do that assessment, complete it, and have that part of how a project moves forward from permitting and all that. So the Sea Level Rise Task Force, uh, Mayor, Mayor Kelman has said uh, she would like the Sustainability Commission to basically say yes to this requirement. And so I think we can vote um, and formally say, yes, the Sustainability Commission approves the requirement that we have a sea level rise assessment for projects that are going to be impacted by sea level rise. Any questions or comments or any, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And I think it's a great idea. Personally, this reminds me of when I went to a community meeting um, ages ago, it seems, on, on the Marin ship plan and what to do the Marin ship and, you know, all these debates about this or that or what you go. No one was talking about the fact that this is all sitting there in sea level rise territory. And yep. I, I just, it boggled the mind back then. And this seems to be an, a great answer to that. I'm fully supportive. Great. So good. Can we vote then? <laughs> yes. Um, could, does someone now want to move to um, agree to this proposal to, uh, to include sea level rise assessments for projects and permitting and turn this over to next steps with the city council. So moved. Second? I'll second that. I think Ollie, you were supposed to do that, but I just uh, took it on, I was so excited. Well, if we have a second, uh, we can improve the motion um, and then I'll call roll. Um, Commissioner Palmer? Yes. Commissioner Cooper? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Stevenson? Yes. Uh, Vice Chair Thompson? Yes. And Chair Wiley? Yes. So five out of seven, motion carries. All right. Woohoo! Great. <laughs> Next up um, is, as I said in the last meeting, um, Time for me to hand over the reins of chair uh, of this uh, wonderful commission. So that time has come and this will be my last meeting as chair. And as we discussed, um, I will be nominating as has been done prior and I think is, is either the tradition of our commission or, or what's supposed to happen. Um, I'll be moving to for my replacement and then we will move from there to vice chair and also discuss our um, promotion of hopeful pr promotion of our alternate to commissioner because we sadly did lose one of our commissioners uh, resigned from the committee of the commission uh, this past um, month. So let's start with, um, yes, Mark. Uh, yes, thank you. I, I just wanted to, uh... Thank you for for suggesting that we do nominations. I I know I think a year ago you sort of asked for volunteers, and I I, just, I think that uh, the nominating process is uh, uh, valid, and 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 I'd recommend that we we follow that so that you know people see uh, uh, some support from others to to take a position rather than just volunteering on your own, especially just kind of on the spot. Uh, you know I I. I would like to add the secretary position also to the list of, of offices that need to be uh, uh, designated. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've been on boards and commissions before, specifically uh, uh, electric utility in, in Colorado, where, where I 
actually studied, studied some governance and, and ways that boards uh, operate. And, and I, 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 it's my experience that, you know, the, the, we have in kind of informal discussions with each other before the meeting so that we sort of know who's, who is willing and who wants to be nominated. And, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think that necessarily violates the Brown Act if we just have one-on-one -on -one discussions with, with people. But I, you know, I think it kind of puts people on the spot when you just have a, a, a impromptu um, either nomination or a volunteer process. So I just wanted to put that out there. Got it. Um, we did, and we did um, for the position of um, chair, we did talk last time that um, the the typical, and, and when, um, when I took on chair, there was a conversation when Ting nominated me to take on chair. Uh, there was Greg was already in the vice chair position, so this is the first time we've we've moved in this direction. But as we said last time, um, we will nominate. Um, and I and by the way, I did not forget about secretary; it just wasn't on the agenda. Sorry, Mark. Um, I would like to move forward with the process. I'd like to nominate. Greg Thompson to move from vice chair to chair, uh, which I think is a natural progression. Um, and that would be my motion to move. Are there any other people that would like to nominate anyone for chair? I'd like to second that nomination. All right. Okay. Uh, then do I call roll for this? Let's call roll call on it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Palmer. Yes. Uh, Commissioner Cooper. Yes. Uh, Commissioner Stevenson. Yes. Vice Chair Thompson. <laughs> Very big yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, and Chair Wiley. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Uh, five out of seven. Uh, that passes. Motion passes. I'm incredibly grateful. There's just such good work here with good people, and I'm excited. I have a little over a year left of my commission time, my second term, a, a, next, you know, a year from February, I'm done. So to spend the last year essentially in this role, I'm very grateful and pleased. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Greg, for taking the reins. Um, <laughs> So next up, we'll need a vice chair, and this is, you know, call it, you know, raising a hand and volunteering or nomination, all of the above are, are on the table. Noted on Mark's, um, Greg, please note on Mark's, um, you know, ideas on perhaps doing some pre-wiring and exploring how to do it in the future. For this, we'll stick to what we've done in the past. Please raise your hand uh, for either a self-nomination um, or nominating someone else. Floor's open. Anyone? Anyone? If no one is self-nominating, then I would nominate if that's where we are. Yep. Move <laughs> well, to nominations. I'll also I'll self-nominate. <laughs> Great. I I second that. Um, being 
being able to work with Mark closely on this energy stuff has, has been really um, great. And Mark does a lot of great work. And so I would second his, his nomination as vice chair. Do we call roll? Yeah, I, uh, I definitely move to propose. Uh, I don't know if Mark can move to, to, so I will move that Mark become the vice chair 100%. Um, okay, uh, Commissioner Palmer. Yes. Commissioner Cooper. Yes. Uh, Commissioner Stevenson. Yes. Uh, Vice Chair Thompson. Yes. And Chair Wiley. Yes. So is it five out of seven or is it five out of five? I think it's five out of five. So we'll uh, motion passes. Majority. Happening. Yeah. Congratulations, Mark. Well nice deserved. Job. Congratulations, Mark. Thank, thank you. I look forward to working with Greg and all the rest of you. Next up is, is I think a formality here. Um, we have a fantastic alternate here that, that I move we promote to commissioner uh, in the absence of uh, Andrew Premierlia who resigned this past month. I move to promote Nick Stevenson to full commissioner effective next meeting. Second. <laughs> Uh, we'll do a roll call again. Um, Commissioner Palmer. Yes. Commissioner Cooper. Yes. Commissioner Stevenson. I can vote for, yeah, yes. Uh, Vice Chair Thompson. Yes. And Chair Wiley. Yes. Yes, motion yes. passes, five out of five. And before going to secretary, I just wanna say and ask a question. So we were on this commission down several people for quite some time because the city council changed the process to only take applicants for commissions like once a year. So we were just waiting and waiting and we finally got, you know, wonderful new commissioners, but it was, it was, you know, a process and we really were down people. We need all the help we can get considering what we've got in place. So when will the next available time for alternates to be put up for consideration B. Do we know that? We don't and we won't for a while. We're waiting for the report back from the city manager from all of the boards and commissions about their needs. So there won't be any appointments for at least until like probably mid first quarter 2023. But you have a pretty packed commission compared to others, I have to say. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we'd, we're, we're solid. We're full uh, with the exception of our alternates. So. You know, we'll just have to keep attention on quorum and, and um, there we go. Okay, secretary is now um, up for grabs. Uh, and I will nominate if, if we don't have any um, volunteers, but I would love to have someone volunteer. Any volunteers to be secretary? I can volunteer to be secretary. I can take that on. Thank you, Nick. Wait All right, I, I, um, I move to approve Nick's nomination to be our new secretary assuming we need to vote on this too that's i move to do it we would I'll need second a second that. second okay do we need to take yeah um commissioner palmer yes commissioner cooper yes uh commissioner stevenson yes vice chair thompson yes and chair wiley yes okay motion passes 
Wonderful. And Nick already has experience doing this. You've done it once already, exactly. I think. I know. Yeah, nice job. Already <laughs> taught me a bunch. I feel pretty good. About that. Um, final agenda item is future agenda items. I know Greg has has put some thought to some things that that you were going to speak about. Greg, I'll start with you. Yeah. Um, it's it's very important that we come together in our January meeting with our key priorities for 2023. And so we wanna have a process in place where every year we're really identifying our priorities and also how we're gonna execute those priorities in the coming year, presenting those or discussing those, I should say at our January meetings. So that out of that, we can have the commission's priorities very well established, including the strategies for executing them We'll go through them. Obviously, you know, Melissa is a part of that process. We'll also go through that with key city folks like Mayor, you know, Chris, Chris Apata, the new development director, et cetera. So we're going to make sure we've got that established um, in terms of priorities for sustainability. And we have collaboration on that with the key members of the city that, need, that we need to do that with so that we can come back with a plan for the, for the year, and that gets approved by the city council and executed, you know, with us in the city. Um, so that's the goal for January is to make sure that each subcommittee and us as a commission is has established our priorities for 2023, and then we can move forward from there. Great. So Please. we'll have, for example, obviously on the energy you know, subcommittee, we're going to have electrification continue to be a priority. And what is our goal there and how are we going to get it done? And then we'll cover that in the other subcommittees as well. Great. So that's a future agenda item where you'll want everyone to come prepared with their priorities for January. So we'll, we'll make a note to, to make sure that, well, it'll be on you to create the agenda, yeah. but we'll have a transition period where together we'll we'll um, figure out how to work with Ali to prepare everyone and give them ample time to think it through a little bit more than just our template preparing for the, for the night. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have one just a reminder that the, the speaker from today who had to cancel is, is sort of on deck for getting rescheduled. So just don't wanna forget about that. Any other future data items that we know about now? Okay. Okay, so that brings us to the end of our meeting. The time is 8.02 and the next, yes, Mark? One more. Sorry. Mark. Oh, it's okay. I just wanted to uh, thank Lauren for her service as our chair, you've done a great job. We really appreciate all the, the work that you've done for us and with us. Thank you. I second that. <laughs> Thank Lauren's you, Mark. Thank fantastic you. with you as the chair. Thank you so much. You've done so much. You've been amazing, Lauren. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Well, I'm not going anywhere. You're stuck with me. So I'm great. excited. I'm excited That's what for I like to hear. <laughs> I'm excited for the new year and the new agenda and, and um, being able to focus a little bit more on the outreach pieces and um, especially because now it seems like that's a real priority. So um, thank you. And without further ado, 
at now 803, we'll adjourn the meeting. The next meeting will be on January 12th with our new chair, Greg. And um, thank you. Have a, and, and happy holidays and happy new year. And thanks guys. Oh, it feels too early for that, but <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Lauren. Good night, everybody. Bye. Thanks, everyone.